What's up, everyone? Andy Patton here, Locked On Zags. It's a slow week for news in Gonzaga land, so we're going to look towards the future. We're going to look at Gonzaga's upcoming recruiting classes in the first segment today, what the roster might look like one to two years down the road. And of course, it's WCC Wednesday, so the second two segments, we're covering everything going on in the West Coast Conference right here, Locked On Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to sincerely thank all of you who make this show your first listen of the day. Some of you have been with me for a very long time. Some of you are new to the show. Either way, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to join me every single morning. You can also, if you haven't yet, please, 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 Locked on Zags is on YouTube. Check it out. Go to YouTube.com. Search Locked on Zags. Check my social media accounts. I post about it there. Hit that subscribe button. Trying to get to 200 before the Zags take on Alabama on Saturday in the battle in Seattle. Super exciting game coming up. Hit that subscribe button so you can hear and see me talk all about it. We're not there yet, though. Before we get to the previewing Alabama, talking about that stuff, it's Wednesday. So, of course, in the second and third segments today, we're going to talk all about the WCC, some of the big games that this conference has continued to win, continuing to establish themselves as one of the premier basketball conferences in the NCAA. Been an outstanding showing from many of the teams in that conference so far. We'll get to that. Before we get there, though, I want to spend this first segment talking about the future. (laughs) Not something that I've done so far on this show. We've been focused on the present, obviously, this current season. I've gotten a handful of Mailbag Monday questions specifically from, shout out to a listener, John, via Gmail, who's asked a couple of these questions about Gonzaga's upcoming recruiting classes, what the roster might look like down the road. He acknowledged that he's doing his best to just enjoy the season as it's happening right now. It's been a fantastic season outside of, of course, the devastating Duke loss and the not-so-great performance that we recently saw against the Tarleton State Texans. But I do want to talk a little bit now that we have a bit of a breathing room, not three games in five days like we saw last week for Thanksgiving. So there's a little bit of extra time. It's a good opportunity to kind of look towards the future. So I'm going to read two of John's questions and just kind of go over them at length. I want to preface this by saying that I am not a huge recruiting expert. There are people within the Gonzaga community, uh, Caldwell Zag on Twitter. You can follow him. You can read his blog. He does a lot of information about recruiting uh, inside the kennel. They're the 24-7 sports connection with Gonzaga. They obviously do a lot of this stuff. So those are great resources to follow along with more recruiting updates. That's where I get a lot of my information. I would feel wrong if I didn't shout them out because that's where a lot of the good recruiting information about the Zags comes from. Anyway, this first question from John, he says, On your show today, you discussed the potential of losing Julian Strother to the NBA after just this season. If we do lose him, that means we lose our entire starting lineup from this year, most likely. How concerned should we be for next year with only Hickman, Salas, Greg, Watson, and Perry with players with experience? Will we have to rely on the transfer market in a way that we haven't had to in a long time to field a great Gonzaga team? So I I don't agree with a lot of the premise here. For starters, I'd be pretty surprised if Gonzaga loses their entire starting lineup. Yes, I acknowledge Julian Strother could go to the NBA, and I still believe that that is accurate and true. Andrew Nembhardt and Drew Timmy, I'm not sold that both of those players are gone. Chet Holmgren, gone. No debate there. Rasir Bolton, gone. Not really any debate there. 
but I'm not super sold about Nembhard and Timmy. I think there's a chance that Drew Timmy comes back, becomes a four-year player, does the whole Christian Leitner thing or Ethan Happ from Wisconsin where Happ was a guy that had a ton of attention all year long. He's going to go pro. He's going to go pro, even though his game didn't really translate to the NBA level. And then he came back. I think there's a real chance that Drew Timmy does that. So again, we don't know right now. We can continue talking as if we're assuming that both Drew Timmy and Andrew Nembhard are gone and Julian Strother. But I would be surprised if all five of Gonzaga's starters are not on the roster next season. I'll start with that. Beyond that, you mentioned Hickman, Salas, Greg, Watson, and Perry. Sure, there's also Dominic Harris. We don't want to forget about him. Dom probably will not play this year, although it is unclear at this point if he is going to attempt to play at some point during the conference slate. I know he does not have a ton of experience, but he has as much experience as Caden Perry, certainly. By the end of the year, he'll have, even if he doesn't play at all this year, I don't think Ben Gregg or Caden Perry are going to have played much more this season than Dom Harris played as a true freshman. So he's a guy who's going to come in with some experience next season as well, and even more so if he gets a chance to play towards the end of the year. So that's a guy that you don't want to forget about there. But beyond that, looking at that group, that that group of six guys, yeah, it's it's not the caliber of roster that Gonzaga has right now. But a three-guard rotation of Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, Dominic Harris is by no means bad. In fact, I think that's going to be quite good. I think Ben Gregg, Caden Perry, and Anton Watson is a very, very good front court. I know Watson had his struggles last game and has struggled the last couple of games. And obviously, Caden Perry now dealing with a back injury, I guess, continuing to deal with the back injury that he dealt with in high school. No word on the severity there or if it's something that is going to impact him in the future. But not getting a ton of playing time. Ben Gregg, we haven't seen him in a little bit, which is not surprising necessarily, but I would like to see him get to play a little bit more before he gets handed a pretty significant role next season. Still though, those six guys, that is not a bad foundation by any stretch of the imagination. That is still pretty good. And I think if you build around the edges of that, yes, by of course adding on the grad transfer market, something Gonzaga has done Basically, every season for the last decade, they have been really, really staunchly in favor of adding talent that way. They rarely, rarely miss when they go after certain players. So if you add one to two pieces from the grad transfer market to that roster to fill out your eight-man rotation, it's not going to be as good as this year's team. It's probably not as good as last year's team, almost certainly not as good as last year's team. But by no stretch is is that a bad roster. Is that a roster that would be highly concerning to me? I don't know that they're going to be like run the table, 1975 Indiana Hoosiers don't lose a game, win it all kind of thing. Like (laughs) I don't expect that to be the case, but I would think that that roster would still be capable of, you know, certainly winning the WCC, certainly being a top two or three seed, maybe still challenge for a one overall seed. I don't think it's crazy to think that that roster would be that good. You mentioned in your question, like, how long it's been since Gonzaga's had to heavily pursue the the transfer market. I mean, it hasn't been that long. We look at three years ago, Gonzaga added both Ryan Woolridge and Admon Gilder, two-fifths of their starting lineup until until Joel Eiai took a starting spot from Admon Gilder. Until that point, two-fifths of their starting lineup, their their entire backcourt was grad transfers. So they've they're they're willing to do that. And I think in this situation where if they do lose Julian and Nembhard, Andrew Timmy all to to the draft or to the next level, 
I do think that there's a possibility that Gonzaga heavily pursues the grad transfer market to really replenish the roster and obviously still have those six players. I don't think Nolan Hickman or Hunter Salas, they're very unlikely to leave after this year. I'd be surprised to see that. Anton Watson's not going anywhere. Ben Gregg and Caden Perry are kind of waiting their time. So all those guys will be back. Dom Harris, I expect him to be back. That, to me, is not a bad core six. Adding some grad transfers to that puts you in a pretty good spot. Beyond that, the class of 2022 is not done. And that's what I want to talk about here in the second question. This one also from John. He said, how the hell do we only have one player committed to Gonzaga for either 2022 or 2023? Although I'm appreciative of Braden Huff, he was not part of the big five we were going after for next year. Anthony Black was a part of that big five, but we don't have him yet. And from what I've read in his recruitment is between Gonzaga and Oklahoma State. We don't have Dusty Stromer for 2023, although I hope that changes. Yeah, so it's a little surprising to see the Zags pretty quiet on the class of 2022 front. Uh, they do only have one commit, Braden Huff, like you mentioned, six foot nine stretch four from Illinois, number 88 nationally at 24/7 Sports. So again, not you know not a top 25 guy. This is not you know Chet Holmgren or, or Jalen Suggs or even Dom or Julian, who were both in the 60s. Caden Perry, I think, was 59 or so. Now Huff will probably move up the rankings that typically Gonzaga recruits players who end up jumping up the list as time goes on. And number 88 is by no means bad or anything that we should be concerned about. He's a four-star prospect been compared to, you know, guys like Killian Tilly and Ben Gregg. That's the kind of player that he is. But even, you know, adding him to the mix, he's probably not a huge piece in year one. Certainly he would be at best the fourth big behind Watson, Perry, and Gregg. But the, the, the class is not done. And Anthony Black is the big question mark. As of right now, he, as far as I know, the same as what John said in his email, it is between Gonzaga and Oklahoma State. Black missed some time because of some concerns about recruiting and some other illegalities regarding his high school basketball season. He's back. He's playing again. He looks fantastic. Combo guard, really, really talented young man, would be an instant contributor to this Gonzaga team. We just don't know. I don't I don't have any other information, unfortunately, other than it does sound like it's between Gonzaga and Oklahoma State. If he comes to Gonzaga, that changes things considerably. My guess is part of the reason the class of 2022 doesn't have a lot of movement in it is simply because they're waiting to figure out what's going on with Anthony Black. You might recall with the with Paolo Bancaro and his recruitment, the Zags were always known to be in on Chet Holmgren. There was some hope that maybe they would get both. Obviously, that was always a bit far-fetched. But as soon as Bancaro committed to Duke, Gonzaga, like that day or that weekend, made an offer to Ben Gregg. Less than a week later, Ben Gregg accepted that offer. He basically accepted it immediately. He just waited to announce it until it was his mom's birthday because he, or his grandma's birthday, I believe, because he wanted to kind of honor her that way. But he was, he was in. He was ready to roll right away. There is a good chance there are players who are going to commit to Gonzaga or want to go to Gonzaga who are maybe not getting the opportunity to commit until Gonzaga figures out the situation with Anthony Black. That's kind of my guess. Maybe it's just hopeful optimism in that regard. But if we find out Black's coming to Gonzaga, great. He's a huge piece to class of 2022. If we find out he's not coming to Gonzaga, I suspect we will hear another announcement very soon. There might be some people out there who have good inklings of who those players are. I am not one of those people, unfortunately, but I that would be my, my strong guess. I still think there's maybe one or two additional ads that could be made to the to the class of 22, some late guys who haven't committed yet, uh, guys who might reclassify to class of 2022 who would then become available. That strikes me as something that could absolutely happen. Uh, beyond that, 
obviously I think they're going to hit the grad transfer market pretty hard looking at next season. And then going to 2023, to be honest, I'm, not, I'm just not worried about it yet. Uh, you mentioned Dusty Stromer. Yes, he's very talented. Uh, six foot six combo guard from Sherman Oaks, California, number 39 on 247's composite rankings. Uh, he came, he visited for, during the Texas game, had a really nice visit, some optimism that he could be a guy who ends up committing to Gonzaga for the class of 2023. He's got a lot of interest from a lot of schools. Obviously, there is a pipeline of players from the LA area coming to Gonzaga, notably Dominic Harris among them. So maybe Stromer will be the next guy to follow in that class. But I'm just, to me, yes, it's a little jarring to see a school that has been ranked number one for the majority of the past two seasons that, you know, went to the national championship last year. That was the number one team throughout this year that landed the number one recruit in the country. It's a little jarring to see that team only have one future commit in the next two years. And to be honest, Braden Huff visited Wisconsin a month after he committed to Gonzaga. It's not a foregone conclusion. It's likely that he's coming to Gonzaga, but it is not a foregone conclusion. He has not signed any paperwork, so there's still a chance that that could change as well. So it's a little concerning, but I'm not that worried about it. The staff always seems to have such a strong idea of where they are, where they want to be, what they're targeting. You know, who's going to be, who's going to stick around, who's going. You know, they don't get surprised by things very often. So I think right now they're trying to feel out like how many of these guys are going to leave, how many of these guys are we expecting back. You know, they're probably feeling more confident about Salas and Hickman coming back. They're probably feeling less confident about Julian Strother coming back. Maybe that means that they really turn their attention to the the wing market because that is an area of weakness on next year's roster. If Julian leaves, they don't have a small forward on the roster. So I'm, I'm wondering if they're just still kind of feeling things out a little bit. And I'm guessing that the Anthony Black non-news is probably a pretty significant factor that is holding things up from getting going on the recruiting trail. But I, I'm, I can't, I'm not worried. I'm not going to act like I'm super concerned about this because I'm not, but we'll see. You, you know, if they only end up with one player in the class of 2022, that would be a little bit eye-opening, especially with after the staff lost Tommy Lloyd, one of their top recruiters. I can understand why there might be a little bit of consternation about that, but this staff, this team, they really know what they're doing, and I think they're going to they're gonna have everything come into place uh, at the right time. All right, so that was pretty much a non-update update about Gonzaga's future recruits. Obviously, as we get more information, I'll happily discuss those players that are coming in, what that might look like for the roster. But in the second segment today, we're going to start WCC Wednesday, taking a look at how each team in the conference did this past week and what they got coming up. Before we get there, though, let's talk about prize picks. All right, college football fanatics, have you heard about prize picks? Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100. PrizePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out pricepicks.com now and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your app store and download the app today. PricePix is daily fantasy made easy. All right, segment two, transitioning. It's Wednesday, y'all. That means WCC Wednesday. We're taking a look at what has been the happenings non-Gonzaga-wise in the West Coast Conference. We'll just go down team by team through their Ken Palm rankings, 
take a look at how they've done the last few weeks. Of course, we start out with the Cougars of BYU, the number 12 ranked team in the country. The WCC is very close. They're on the precipice of having two top 10 teams in the country. They frankly probably should have three teams ranked in the top 25. One of St. Mary's in San Francisco is very close to being a top 25 team in the country. BYU is only number 22 in Ken Palm, so the Ken Palm ratings don't quite like them as much as the AP poll, but either way, this is one of the 25 best teams in the country. They crushed Oregon 81-49 to in the Maui Invitational. That was a few weeks ago, but I just like to bring that game up because how fun was that to watch BYU just put the screws to a Pac-12 school like the Ducks? Uh, they had the nice come-from-behind victory over Utah. That was their most recent victory, only 75-64. to They were down huge chunks of that game. It really looked like they were going to lose. The Utes are good. They weren't expected to be one of the better teams in the Pac-12, but they have a pretty solid roster, and I thought they played pretty well in that game. But BYU ended up pulling it out. They secured the victory. They're 6-0 on the season. They got three gimme games coming up, so they should get up to 9-0. Their big game that they got is on December 11th. They're playing Creighton, the Blue Jays, obviously a team that was a a NCAA tournament team last year. The Zags played them in the tournament on their way to the championship game. That'll be a super fun game. I'm excited to see how BYU matches up with the Jayhawks in that one. But again, there's a pretty realistic chance that when Gonzaga and BYU meet for the first time this season, both teams, well, (laughs) that there's only one loss between the two of them. BYU will probably be undefeated by that point. Next up, St. Mary's 7-1 on the season, 33rd in Ken Palm ratings. Their only loss was to Wisconsin in the Maui Invitational Championship game. They lost 61-55, to which is a very Randy Bennett and St. Mary's score. They secured big wins over Notre Dame and also Oregon. Another chance to remind people that the WCC is dominating the Oregon Ducks this season. They beat them by 12. Same story with St. Mary's, similar style. They're playing real slow. Real efficient basketball. Randy Bennett's got this squad doing the same thing. They had an off year last year, and I think a lot of people were a little concerned about them coming into this year. I saw them ranked outside the top five of the WCC, or at least fifth in the WCC. They're back. They're doing their same thing. Tommy Cousy's back. They have a nice front court. Certainly not on the level of Gonzaga's front court, but one of the teams that I think could really give some of those big guys some physicality and some body them up a little bit, Matthias Toss and Dan Fotu are both big, strong, athletic talented dudes. I think the WCC is not known for having players like this very often, but St. Mary's has frequently had some some big talented guys. Obviously, Omar Samhan's a very notable example of that in the, you know, I guess, longer ago than I would like to admit because I was in college when he was there. But, you know, they've had some really talented big guys, and I think Toss and, and Foto are going are gonna to give the Zags a little bit of trouble in the front court. They got Colorado State on December 4th. They got San Diego State on the 17th. Two super fun games coming up for the Gales. Next up, your 8-0 San Francisco Dons, the best record in the NCAA. Ken Palm has them 36th in the country. Their big wins are against Nevada and Davidson. They narrowly, narrowly escaped against Alabama, Birmingham in their most recent game. I believe they only won by two. So it started to look like the wheels were falling off. They secured the victory, at least for Todd Golden's squad. They have a very talented backcourt in Khalil Shabazz and Jamari Bouye, really talented young guards. Uh, They also play a pretty slow pace. You'll notice that's a theme in the WCC this year. Most teams are not trying to get out and run in transition. They're keeping things slow. They're being patient. They're looking for their shots. They're scoring at an efficient rate. That's the same story with BYU, with the Gales, and, of course, with the Dons as well. They got got a nice four-game stretch coming up. Their next four games, UNLV on the 4th, Fresno State on the 8th, Grand Canyon on the 18th, and Arizona State on the 19th. I'll tell you what, if they're 12-0, 
If they are 12-0 and after those four games, they will be a top 25, probably a top 20 team. Now, none of those teams are elite by any stretch of the imagination, but if you can beat those four teams and be 12-0, and that would be super, super exciting. I'm expecting them to probably drop one of them, maybe two of them, but this is a good Don squad, and I'm excited to see what they do for the rest of the season. Last up, before we get to segment three, Santa Clara, the Broncos, 5-2 and two on the season, 85th, according to Ken Palm. They had a nice 5-0 and oh start to the season, looked like another really legitimate contender for an NCAA tournament appearance. They've now suffered back-to-back losses to Fresno State and Irvine. Irvine beat them pretty good. It was, it was a pretty ugly game for Santa Clara. That's dropped them pretty considerably, I think, at this point because of how hard it is to make the NCAA tournament as a at-large mid-major program. They got to be dang near perfect from here on out. Losing to Irvine and Fresno State hurt them significantly. There's still a chance, but they, you know, if they drop two to Gonzaga, if they drop two to St. Mary's and BYU, that's probably it for the Broncos. Unfortunately, they got Hawaii tonight. At, by the time you listen to this, they'll have played Hawaii. Hopefully, they can secure a victory there. I'm recording this earlier because I don't have time this evening, so we'll see how that Hawaii game goes. I think also got Cal on the 11th and they got Boise State on the 14th. A couple more opportunities to secure at least decent wins for this program. All right, five more teams to cover in the WCC coming back in the third segment. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bill Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BillBar.com now and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BillBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at Bill Bar. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, welcome back. Third segment, still talking WCC on this Wednesday morning when you are listening to this. Still talking about the West Coast Conference, the Best Coast Conference. Uh, One of the surprises of the NCAA season is how good the WCC has been. We talked about the top five teams in the first two segments. Now we're pivoting to the bottom half of the conference, starting with LMU. LMU is 4-3 and on the season. Ken Palm has them 104th, very close to being within that top 100. There's a good chance they'll sneak back in there at some point this season. They got smoked by Florida State very badly. I believe they only scored 45 points in that game. But since then, they've gone 2-1. Nice win over Southern Methodist. So they kind of rebounded from from that ugly game. Uh, They also had a very close loss to Grand Canyon. A good antelope squad, a team that I think could eventually be in the WCC someday. Uh, So nice to see them play that team closely. 
They're a top 60 offense in the country, but they're just, they're not good defensively. They've struggled on that end of the floor significantly throughout the season. They also played a super slow pace. Shocker, that's the story for basically every team in the WCC. Coming up for them, they got New Mexico State on the 11th and Nevada on the 18th. Next up is Pacific. They are 4-3 and three on the season. The Tigers, 158th on Ken Palm. I'm continued... I've continued to be surprised at how high Ken Palm ranks Pacific. This is a team that barely has any Division I victories. Their first D1 win came over Chicago State, which, I'm sorry, barely counts. Chicago State is a destitute organization that barely is afloat with an athletic department, so not really sure you can count that one. They did beat Arc Pine Bluff, and they beat them bad. They beat them by 24 points, so that definitely counts. That's a D1 win for the Tigers. Um, still a little surprised where Ken Palm has them, but hey, we'll take it. Any any surprise like that is a good surprise. They got a nice big big party in the Big West coming up. They got Davis on the 1st, Fullerton on the 4th, San Jose State on the 11th, and Santa Barbara on the 14th, making the rounds through the Big West Conference. We'll see how they do against some legitimate competition there. Hopefully they can secure at least a couple of victories and continue to help make the WCC look good. Next up, San Diego, 167th. On Ken Palm, they've been really struggling lately. They've lost three of their last four, including a couple of Big West losses themselves to Fullerton and Northridge. They don't really have a lot of chances to right the ship because they got Fresno State on the 1st and UNLV on the 22nd, two tough games for the Toreros. Hopefully they can kind of right the ship here because it started out with a really promising season, uh, but now that they've lost three of their last four, it's kind of losing its luster a little bit. Final two teams, Pepperdine, the Waves, two and six, on the season, we kind of knew that it would be a tough year for them after losing Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards, two of the most talented players to ever come through that program. They're 221st in Ken Palm right now, four straight losses, got blown out by Irvine, had a really close game against Fresno State, also played TCU pretty well, Texas Christian. I think they lost by nine in that one, only lost by a couple of points to Grand Canyon. So they've been playing fairly well. But those are some tough games, admittedly. Those are three pretty good teams for a low-end WCC team to try to try to win. But 2-6 and six record, pretty tough. Uh, again, similar story to earlier. They're playing tonight after I record this, so you will know the results of this game when you're listening to this. But they got Nevada. That would be a great win for the Waves if they could pull that one off. If they do not, they'll be down to 2-7. and seven. We knew they weren't going to be one of the better teams in the conference this year. Hopefully Lorenzo Romar and their staff can turn things around at least somewhat quickly so they can get out of the cellar in short order. Speaking of the cellar, the Portland Pilots, 291st, according to Ken Palm, way behind everybody else in the conference. Despite that, they're 7-2. I have to imagine that Portland Pilots fans, many of whom I know because of my time working at the school, are super thrilled. They haven't played great teams. There's no doubt about that. Nobody's going to confuse any of these victories for really legitimate wins. They did beat Portland State, which is fine. They beat Incarnate Word, Morgan State. They've, they've played some D1 teams and beat them. That's about the best that we can really say here. But they haven't played those teams and lost to them, which frankly is what would have happened in the Terry Porter era. They were really, really bad. And now we got a team that's 7-2. and two. It's a feel-good story for the Pilots. We'd like to see them win games. They just have not done a whole lot of that the last couple of seasons. Also, one of my favorite facts about them, they play at a fast pace. <laughs> They're like the only team in the conference that's not named Gonzaga that plays at a quick pace. They're top 70 team in the country, according to Tempo, through Ken Palm. Almost everybody else in the conference is outside of the top 200. 
when they play Gonzaga, at least we know that they're probably not going to try to do the slow it down, grind it out style that we're going to see from St. Mary's, that we're going to see from BYU, that we're going to see from most of the rest of the teams in the conference. Portland attempting to run with Gonzaga is probably not going to go very well, but it is at least a more enjoyable brand of basketball to watch for us during that game. Their next big game is the 15th when they will play Oregon. As much as I would love to see the Pilots beat the Ducks, I have a feeling Oregon is going to extract their revenge on the WCC in that game. But hey, you never know. Maybe the Ducks are a little bit spooked by anybody in the WCC. Maybe Portland can sneak a victory there down in Eugene. All right, tomorrow is a full episode of Andy Locks. A little nervous to see what y'all are going to bring for me after the Tarleton State debacle, but it's still going to be a lot of fun grading your takes. Too hot, too cold, just right. Friday, of course, we're going to preview the battle in Seattle at Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, downtown. They're going to be playing Alabama, the Crimson Tide. Super exciting game. Alabama's got some big physical guards, and you can bet they're going to be up in Gonzaga's grill all game long. Hopefully the Zags can bounce back from that disappointing performance on Monday and get secure a big victory in front of what will basically be a home crowd in the city of Seattle. All of that will be right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Of course, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button for me if you can. I would really appreciate it. Podcast links will also be available on Twitter at Locked On Zags and on my own personal Twitter account, which you can find at ScoreZagsScore. Finally, thank you again for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!